Father, thank you for this word that was just read. Now we know how desperate we are for your spirit to come and to accompany the preaching of the word that your truth may weigh heavy on our hearts and that your spirit may do his work in our lives, bringing comfort and consolation to weary souls. And so, Lord, we pray that you minister to us personally and do this all for your glory and for the good of your people. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to start off by saying again just how honored I am to be able to be here, to preach God's word to you here at Hope. Your church uh, and your pastors, I guess, man, 10 years. Uh, man, congratulations. Praise God. And for those 10 years uh, that, that I've been back here in Houston as well, I've been able to be strongly encouraged by uh, your pastors, uh, present and former, and to be able to, to be blessed by every single time I get a chance to come here and, and bring God's word. I think there's a lot to love about Hope Church. One thing that stands out to me in particular is the emotional energy that you guys exude in your worship singing. My congregation is uh, culturally rather uh, muted in our emotion, let's just say that. And so you can, you can sense that in our singing. Uh, I, no doubt it is sincere. It's still God-glorifying, but uh, it's just a bit mo- emotionally monotone. And that's just part of the culture. I get it. So I appreciate being in a context where there is a different range of emotions being expressed in your worship. And I think that's, that, that variety of emotions is a good reminder. It's a good reminder for me that in a worship service, there might be a hundred emotions going on in our hearts right now. And, and you yourself might feel differently this Sunday than you did last Sunday. And next week, you might show up in a completely different emotional state. And so because of that reality, because of just the, multi, uh, the multiple emotions that can be found in a congregation, that's why I appreciate the book of Psalms. This is the song book of God's people, and it is filled with 150 songs to be sung corporately as prayers to the Lord, giving words and giving voice to God's people and covering a wide variety of emotions. Now, you, you have your typical uh, uh, psalms of praise and thanksgiving that focus on God, on a particular attribute or characteristic of God, uh, on his mighty works. And, that, and that's, th- those are psalms that are helpful to express our joy and our confidence in him. But as well, you have what are known as psalms of lament. Those are psalms that are, are really birthed out of pain and anguish. And And I know we may not be as familiar with psalms of lament because probably the lyrics aren't as catchy. Uh, I I think that's that's you know pretty pretty clear. When you're in in a service and you're singing a a praise song that's based on a psalm, you'd expect to sing something like you know, "Give thanks to the Lord for He is good; His love endures forever." You know that that's the kind of refrain that you're used to singing. You're probably not expecting to sing Psalm 88. You have put me in the depths of the pit, in the regions of dark and deep. Your wrath lies heavy upon me, and you overwhelm me with all your waves. Wow, that's pretty, that's, that's, that's a downer. So I don't think we're, we're typically singing Psalm 88. But hey, let's be honest. That's how a lot of worshipers feel on any given Sunday. 
And that might be how you feel right now. And so that's why we do need psalms of lament to give voice to our grief, to give words to express any feeling of doubt or, or despair. And that's why uh, I wanted us to look at Psalms 42 and 43 this evening. Now, the reason why we're covering these two psalms is because most likely these two psalms are actually one. Uh, we don't know why or when it got split up into two, but most commentators think that it was one psalm because of the, re of the repeating stanza that you're going to find in chapter 42, verse 5. And if you look with me, look at verse 11 and go to Psalm 43, look at verse 5, and you'll see a repeating, repeating refrain. It says, why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. So as you can see, the, the psalmist is dealing with a range of emotions here, and he feels them all so deeply. And I, I, I imagine that many of you might be able to resonate with the psalmist. This psalm, as, as you're hearing it read, is starting to give words to your feelings. And, and even if you, right now, you're like, I, I, don't, I don't get this, I, I don't feel this way, even if you don't identify with the psalmist and what he's going through, I think you should still listen. You should still open your ears and, and, and try to learn so that you can know how to care for those who are going through something like this, who, who are in the same spiritual condition as the psalmist. So I've broken down this psalm into three parts. Uh, for us to look at. Uh, so first, what we're going to do in, in this message is we're going to diagnose the spiritual condition that the psalmist is referring to and that better help you detect it if you're going through it or if someone in your life is going through a similar condition as this psalmist. Second, we're going to identify the causes of this condition that are found in our text. And third, we'll prescribe a cure. So let's look at the condition consider some causes, and then we'll look at a cure. So what's the spiritual condition that we are dealing with here in this psalm? What's plaguing the psalmist? Well, it goes by different names. Some call it spiritual dryness or spiritual deadness. Uh, it's where your devotional life just feels dry, where your, your worship life feels like it's lacking in fervor and joy. Or others would describe it using more severe terms. Some would call it spiritual desertion or abandonment. It's where they've lost the feeling sense of the very presence of God. He feels distant. He feels like he's gone silent. It feels like God has deserted you and just left you to deal with your own pain, to, to figure things out on your own. Now, the psalmist uses a metaphor to help describe this condition, starting off in verse 1. I'll read that again. As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. And then he goes on to explain the metaphor in verse 2. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? So the psalmist is comparing himself to a panting deer, and God in this metaphor is like a dry riverbed. He's looking to God to quench his spiritual thirst, but when he arrives, God's not there. The psalmist has no feeling sense of, of God's presence in his life, and that's why he has to ask at the end of verse 2, when shall I come and appear before God? 
And that's why if you look in verse 9, he complains that God has forgotten about him. And then then in chapter 43, verse 2, he feels like God has even rejected him. Now, note with me here, though, that the psalmist still believes in God. He doesn't deny God's existence. He just can't feel God's presence. And perhaps you can identify with that. Maybe there was a time when your devotions were rich and they were life-giving and and you had assurances of his love. You knew his joy. And when you worshiped, that joy just filled you, filled your heart. But now, well, now your times with the Lord are, are dry and inconsistent. Your prayers feel mechanical. Your worship feels joyless. Doubt has crept in and laid claim in your heart. Now, now you still believe in God. You're not an atheist, but for all intents and purposes, you're starting to live like one, starting to live like God doesn't really exist because you don't sense him in your life working anymore. So that's that's why you very well might resonate with this thrice-repeated refrain about, about feeling cast down in your soul. You know what it means to be downcast in your soul. So that's, that, my friends, is the condition that we are dealing with in this song. You can call it spiritual dryness, spiritual deadness, spiritual darkness, spiritual desertion, spiritual depression. Now, for all our purposes... I'm going to go with that last one, spiritual depression, mainly because there's this really good book that I, that I read by Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones called Spiritual Depression. And um, I'm going to re- definitely refer to that resource later, but I do need to make a qualification. Uh, Lloyd-Jones was a medical doctor, so that, that doctor in front of his name was, wasn't, a, wasn't a, a PhD. He was a medical doctor. He's an MD, and he knows a thing or two about clinical depression. Now, spiritual depression and clinical depression are definitely related, but there is a distinction. You can experience one without the other. And so I think that's an important qualification here because just because you have never shown any signs of clinical depression, I don't want you to assume that this psalm has little to say to you, has little to do with you personally. Don't get thrown off by the word depression. The condition that the psalmist is describing is something that we are all susceptible to. I just want to throw that out there initially. But now, there are three things that we can say about this condition that we're calling spiritual depression. First, if you've gone through this experience, you know that spiritual depression hurts you. It hurts you. That would include emotional pain, but spiritual depression also has physical manifestations. Just look with me in verse 10, chapter 42, verse 10. The psalmist describes the pain that he's feeling when others taunt him about the absence of God in his life. He says, it's like a deadly wound in my bones. Other translations describe it as a crushing of the bones. So there is a bone-crushing pain associated with spiritual depression. It might originate from the mind or from the soul, but it is felt all over the body. If you look in verse three, the psalmist has experienced a loss of appetite. He hasn't been eating right. He says, my tears have been my food day and night. His constant weeping is taking over. 
He's losing his appetite. He's probably losing productivity as well because he says his weeping is stretching from all the way from day to night. The point is to recognize that when spiritual darkness descends and you can no longer sense the love or the presence of God, the effects are more than just spiritual, more than just emotional. They can very well be physical. It hurts you. Second, spiritual depression haunts you. What I mean is that it can come and go. The darkness can lift and hope then feels renewed, but as quickly as it goes, the darkness can descend on your soul once again. I mean, did you notice that as we were reading this psalm? It kind of goes back and forth, right? The psalm kind of fades and rises and fades and rises from despair to hope, back to despair, and then to hope again. The whole point is that this condition is typically not just a one-time experience where a conversion moment or a second blessing is the cure-all. The feeling of spiritual deadness can come and go, and it can inflict even mature believers. Think of Elijah after confronting the prophets of Baal. He is this mighty man of God, but in 1 Kings 19, he's curled up under a broom tree asking to die. Or think of John the Baptist, who, who is this, you know, bold prophet, and yet he's wondering if Jesus really is the Christ, as doubt began to creep up in his mind as he was stuck in Herod's prison. Many of my heroes of the faith actually struggled with spiritual depression. Martin Luther, David Brannard, William Cooper, Charles Spurgeon, all of these guys experienced this condition. And so the point is this, don't assume that this condition only only afflicts non-Christians or weak Christians. Don't assume as well that there's some kind of permanent fix. Spiritual depression can afflict any believer, and it might be something that haunts you, that comes and goes over a lengthy season, or maybe even over the entirety of your life. Third, Spiritual depression overwhelms you. It hurts you, haunts you, and overwhelms you. It incapacitates you. You feel like you're drowning in sorrow. But unlike in clinical depression, the underlying source of your sorrow is not a chemical imbalance. It's not just your circumstances. It's not the words and actions of others. In spiritual depression, that overwhelming, drowning sense of sorrow comes from God. Or more accurately, it comes from God's removal of his comforting presence. Look at how the psalmist describes his his grief for us in verse 7. Deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have gone over me. Now that sounds like some beautiful song lyrics, right? It sounds really profound. I, I think there are some praise songs that talk about deep calling out to deep. But the psalmist is is saying that it feels like these waterfalls are going to crush him and that the pounding waves are going to engulf him. And, and, And whose waterfalls and whose waves are they? It's God's. It's God's waterfalls. It's his breakers and waves overwhelming the psalmist. And so God, in his mysterious will, has removed from the psalmist his, the grace of his comforting presence. And he very well might be doing the same for some of you. And only until you acknowledge 
that it's his waterfalls and his breakers and waves drowning you, only then will you learn to recognize the lifeline that he's actually throwing out to you. And, and praise God, the psalmist, he saw it. He saw this lifeline. He spoke of this lifeline in, in verse 8. Look there. As he feels like he's drowning in grief, he recognizes God's steadfast love, his hesed, his covenantal love, his unconditional commitment to his people. The psalmist just grabs a hold of that lifeline, lifeline tightly and he clings onto it as his only hope. Now, we're definitely going to come back to this. We're going to come back to this lifeline, this steadfast love, but, but let's just recap. Spiritual depression is a spiritual condition that hurts you, haunts you, and overwhelms you. Now, let's consider some possible causes for this condition. Now, the causes are going to be multifaceted since humans are complex creatures. We are made up of, 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 uh, of, of soul, mind, and, and, uh, and body. So I, I don't imagine exhausting uh, the list of causes all in one sermon. But I do want to identify at least three causes that are found here in our text. First, spiritual depression can be caused by a separation from the corporate worship of God. Notice how the psalmist is grieving the fact that he is separated, not just from God, but from the temple of God in Jerusalem. Look there at verse 4. These things I remember as my soul, as I pour out my soul, how I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude-keeping festival. So what that psalmist is panting for, what he's thirsting for, is a chance to worship God, not just in private devotion, but in the company of the worshiping community. He wants to return to the house of God, to the temple. And that's why he makes reference later on in Psalm 43, verses 3 to 4, he makes reference to God's holy hill and at God's altar. He wants to return to the temple. Now, the header of Psalm 42 says that this is a song of the sons of Korah. And the sons of Korah were the ones who were in charge of temple music. They, they, they were the ancient worship leaders. And that makes sense since the psalmist says in verse 4, he used to lead others in glad shouts and songs of praise. And so that explains why he is so grieved from being cut off from the house of God. His, his passion, his joy is to be among the worshiping people, leading them in worship, and now he's cut off. Now, if you look in verse 6, it says that he's writing from the land of Jordan and of Hermon from Mount Mazar. So that would geographically place him north of Galilee. So perhaps he's been exiled there by a nation that had attacked Jerusalem, carried off a bunch of captives. We don't know exactly how he ended up there, why he's there. But regardless of why he is separated from the temple, the point is that his absence from the corporate worship of God is contributing to this condition of spiritual depression. It's obvious the psalmist is downcast. He's longing to be in God's presence again. But my whole point is that in this longing of his, it's not just a longing to do a quiet time. He's not just panting to do a personal devotion. Notice how he is longing and panting specifically for corporate worship. Because that's where he's going to meet with God. Now, let's be clear. God, of course, is not limited to the temple. 
He's not limited to any place. He is omnipresent. He can meet with us equally wherever we are. He can meet with us in our personal devotions, in our prayer closets. But in both the Old and New Testament, God does uniquely manifest himself to his people in corporate worship, in ways that he does not in our own private devotions. So when the people of God assemble to sing together, to confess sins together, to pray together, to listen to God's word read and preached together, to witness baptisms and to share the Lord's Supper together. God is among us and he is ministering to us in unique ways that you cannot replicate in your private worship. Now, I know I'm getting ahead of myself, but what this means is that one of the remedies for a downcast soul is to make it a priority to regularly worship with the people of God. If you're feeling dry, you're feeling distant from God, then, my friends, this right here, right now, is truly the best place for you and your soul. I'm not surprised if some of you experienced at least some degree of spiritual dryness during the the whole lockdown at the beginning of the pandemic. I mean, you know, for months, most churches had to cancel their worship services. We had to go online, do all this all this virtual worship, virtual ministry. We were just kept isolated and, and kept from assembling as the worshiping community. And so many during this experience have, have, have lost their spiritual fervor. Some have even lost their faith. And that's no surprise. The psalmist warned us that something like this would happen. That's why it's so imperative that we maintain a healthy habit of regularly meeting with each other. I know I'm preaching to the choir. You guys are here. But this is something that you need to encourage and to exhort your brothers and sisters who are falling out of the habit of gathering together. And if you sense in them a dryness, you sense in them this this condition that that we're reading here, you know that this is the place they need to be. And I encourage you to continue to invite those friends, invite those colleagues back into the worshiping community. Now, a second cause, another cause of spiritual depression is the antagonization from worldly people. The antagonization from worldly people. The psalmist says he's being taunted. In verses 3 and 10, his adversaries are taunting him all day long, sarcastically asking him, where is your God? Where's this loving God that you claim to serve? If he loves you, why would he leave you high and dry? Why isn't he returning to you? Now, these taunts were getting to the psalmist, and they were exacerbating his sense of hopelessness. And perhaps, in the same way, you can relate. Perhaps you have people in your life who are not really helping as they speak flippantly or sarcastically about God. They tell you, hey, look, if you're in this condition, just get over it. Get over spiritual depression by just getting over religion. Just move on. Now, I, I, I no doubt, I, I'm not doubting that some of them are really trying to help your downcast soul, but they're worldly people, as in the fact that their advice is worldly. They're not going to point you to God and tell you to hope in God. To cure a downcast soul, they're just going to tell you, hey, just, just look in the mirror. Believe in yourself. Focus on yourself. Improve yourself. And that's why, because so many voices are telling you that, that's why you need to be in deep community with the people of God. This is why you need 
to be in a church like this and to commit yourself to this body by joining a church where you have fellow members who are equally committed to speaking truth into your life, not to question where is God, but instead to point you to him, to remind you to hope in him. That's what church members are for. They're here to point you and your heart back to God. Third, another cause of spiritual depression are the accusations from spiritual enemies. Accusations from spiritual enemies. Now, worldly people might antagonize you, but spiritual enemies, they're going to accuse you. By that, I primarily have Satan in mind, because that is what his name means, the accuser. When you're feeling distant or deserted by God, Satan thinks that's a prime opportunity to taunt you and to accuse you. He'll tell you that you're not worthy to appear before God, he, and then he'll take your guilt, and he'll take your shame, and he'll use it to accuse you. He'll use it to beat you up. And that explains why the psalmist, here in Psalm 43, verse 1, is asking God to vindicate him, to defend him against all of these accusations. Now, let, let's be clear, not every case of spiritual depression is triggered by, by some sin that we're struggling with. Like I said earlier, this condition is multifaceted. There could be a, a variety of reasons causing this condition. And again, we, like we said, it could happen to the maturest of Christians. But when sin is involved, our despair escalates because the accuser simply won't let up. He'll keep on piling on accusations. So if those are just three of what could be many causes, what do we do? What's the cure for this spiritual condition that we're describing? Well, we've examined the conditions, considered three causes. Now what's the cure for spiritual depression? There are three things that I see the psalmist doing. Remembering, praying, and preaching. Remembering, praying, and preaching. First, notice how he is remembering. Look in verse 4. He says, these things I remember as I pour out my soul. Now, what things are, is he referring to? When he says he remembers, he says that he remembers those sweet times of corporate worship. When God felt so real to him and so near to him, he's bringing to mind those memories of corporate worship. So what about you? If, if, you're, if you're relating to this, and you know that you need to, to do something, what do you do? What, what if, what, what, perhaps you need to recall a time in your life when worship was life-giving, when you did have that feeling sense of God's presence in your life. And the point is not simply to reminisce about those things in the past, but to let those memories of God's nearness to you to rejuvenate your faith. Look at verse 6. Look at the psalmist's reasoning. Because he's so downcast in his soul, therefore, I remember you. So because you're in this condition, the best thing you, for you to do is to start looking back and remembering. Now, this is, why, this is why so much of what we do in our corporate worship as Christians is about remembering. Well, we're not here to really come up with anything new. We're here to remember the old, old story that we are all so prone to forget. And so in our songs, in our sermons, especially in the supper, we are bringing to remembrance the faithfulness of God. We're remembering. 
And you know, that, that's why I, I find this practice that you guys do in your church, this what, what just happened, what David did for us, of sharing testimonies, and you guys having members come and share testimonies every single week to bring to remembrance God's goodness and grace working out in your lives, that is such a healthy practice. It is so good for your souls corporately to have members come and share by remembering God's goodness. So keep doing that. It's such, it's such a cure for a downcast soul. Second, notice how the psalmist is praying. God feels distant to him. Feels like God has deserted him and forgotten him and rejected him. But here he is, still praying to the God who feels distant. He is still pleading to the God who feels like has abandoned him. Now, if that doesn't make any sense to you, if, if you have yet to develop that discipline of praying to God when you can't feel God, if you have not developed that discipline, then you're not going to get very far, get very deep in your relationship with him. If your relationship with God is only driven by emotions and how you feel in the moment, then spiritual depression is going to drive you even further away from the practice of prayer. One aspect of growing in spiritual maturity is learning how to pray even when you feel spiritually dry or depressed. Look at verse 9 with me. Notice how the psalmist, he isn't complaining to others about God forgetting him. Notice how he is actually speaking to God about God forgetting him. He says in verse 9, why have you forgotten me? Have you ever prayed like that? Have you ever expressed your doubts and frustrations about God to God? Maybe some of you are wondering if you were even allowed to do that. Well, here in Scripture, you're given permission to pray just like that. You see, when you're complaining to others about God, that's what the Bible calls grumbling. We're not to grumble. But when you are bringing that complaint about God to God in the form of prayer, that's called a lament. That's what this is, a prayer of lament, a psalm of lament. Now, notice how the psalmist addresses his prayer in verse 9, to God, my rock. He's remembering one particular attribute of God, that he is a rock. Right now, the psalmist feels overwhelmed by God's breakers and God's waves. He feels like he's drowning, but then he remembers God is a rock, and he's my rock. And he can ride, and the psalmist knows he can ride out the storm by clinging on to this rock, clinging on to that lifeline of steadfast love. And that, of course, is going to lead us now to our third and final cure. Notice with me, third, how the psalmist is preaching to himself. Look back at that common refrain starting in verse 5. Why are you downcast, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Notice there, he's speaking to himself, or preaching to himself. He's having a whole conversation here. He's questioning himself. He's, he's telling himself to hope in God, to believe that he will once again return to the temple to praise his God, the God of his salvation. 
Now, this whole idea of preaching to yourself, come on, it's, it's not some form of psychological babble. No, this, this is really a spiritual discipline of preaching to yourself. I think it's one discipline that many Christians overlook or just don't know about. If you don't know what it means to speak and to preach to your own soul, then I can imagine why the darkness never seems to lift. You're spending far too much time listening to yourself and letting that voice influence you rather than speaking to yourself and telling your soul to hope in God. I learned this from Lloyd-Jones. In his chapter in Spiritual Depression, uh, in his chapter on Psalm 42, he writes this, quote, Have you realized that most of your unhappiness in life is due to the fact that you are listening to yourself instead of talking to yourself? He said that the main trouble with spiritual depression is that we allow ourselves to talk to us instead of talking to ourselves. His point is that we are getting too self-absorbed. If we continue neglecting God's word, if we continue pulling away from God's people, we're going to end up in an echo chamber of self-reinforcing thoughts and feelings. And sometimes we just need to stop listening to that voice in our head, and we need to speak back to it, to speak back with words of hope. And so that's what it means to preach the gospel to yourself. And that's what the psalmist is doing. He's, He's basically saying, listen, soul, why are you downcast? Why are you in turmoil? Hope in God. You are going to see the temple and praise him again with the company of saints. You'll get a chance to be in the presence of God again. Remember, for for Old Testament saints, the temple of God represented the very presence of God. That's why it was so important to be there, to be at the temple. But of course, when we get to the New Testament, when Jesus arrives on the scene, He goes around claiming to be the new temple. He's the new meeting place if you want to meet with God. In him, the whole fullness of God dwells bodily. If you want to appear before God, you don't go to a building anymore. You don't go to a place anymore. You go to a person. You go to the Son of God, Jesus Christ. So friends, this is is how you preach to yourself. You say, listen, soul, why are you downcast? Why are you in turmoil? Hope in God. If you want to appear before God, go to the new temple. And you know you'll always find God in the person of Jesus Christ. That, my friends, is a sermon you need to hear every day. You've got to preach to that to yourself every day, that, that with Jesus, through Jesus, in Jesus, I meet with God. I can sense and be in God's presence. So listen, if you're dealing with spiritual depression right now, I'm I'm sure there's a lot of voices coming at you, and I'm not surprised surprised if the the loudest voice is that voice that's that's telling you you're not worthy. It's the taunt that's saying that you're not worthy to be in God's presence. Well, friend, the the first step to get that dark cloud to lift over you is to admit that that voice is actually right, to acknowledge your sinfulness, to confess your unrighteousness because the hope of the gospel is that God is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's why he sent his son, Jesus. 
In Psalm 43, verse 3, the psalmist asks God to, to send out your light and your truth to lead him to the holy hill, to the temple, to his presence. And the good news is that God has ultimately answered that prayer by sending the light and the truth in the person of the Son. And so if guilt and shame are weighing heavy on you, if, 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 if it's like a thick cloud blocking out the light, like a thick blanket suffocating you, cutting off your air, then put your hope in the Son of God, in his steadfast love. That, that, that'll be your lifeline. It's Jesus who's going to vindicate you. Jesus who's going to justify you by his blood and righteousness. Jesus who is going to make you worthy. It, it was Jesus who endured the ultimate thirst as he hung there on the cross, panting for God. It was Jesus who experienced the ultimate desertion as he was forsaken by his father, forgotten and rejected. And he did all of that. He thirsted. He was forsaken all for us, for sinners like us so that we would never thirst again. We would never be forsaken again. And he did that for all who would admit that we are not worthy in and of ourselves, but we believe that in Christ we will be counted worthy to appear before God you believe that, if you receive that, you can be before God. You can be in his presence again. Now, I'm not going to promise that if you just simply trust in Jesus, then all of your problems are going to go away, that suddenly your spiritual depression is going to be cured, as if it's just going to be a thing in the past, never to haunt you again. I'm not going to promise that. But I am going to promise that Jesus secures our eternal hope that the darkness will not last forever, and that one day, one day, we will rise and once again praise our God. If we are in Christ, I promise you can be sure of that. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would use your word and by the power of your spirit to bring the comfort and consolation that we so desperately need to remind us once again that in ourselves we are not worthy. In ourselves we have nothing. But in Christ Jesus, in the Son of God, we have all that we need. And that we have the promise, the hope of your presence. And so even if right now some of us are feeling like your waves and your breakers are, are overwhelming us, Help us to hold tight to your rock, hold tight to your lifeline, to hold tight to your steadfast love. And may you persevere us through this season of darkness as we believe the light will once again shine upon us. Oh, Lord Jesus, come quickly. Oh, Lord Jesus, return to us soon. We pray this 